All right, uh, so we just uh, shared in the reading of this Declaration of Freedom together. And uh, it's, it's based on biblical truth. And a declaration is when we not only believe something, but we just state it outright. We just boldly state it. And there's something powerful about that. I mean, there's something powerful about just believing the truth. But when you actually state it, you, you make the statement and you speak it out, and you actually hear yourself speaking those words, and then and then you do it with a group of people that uh, that are, that are like minded. There is power in that. There's power to give us freedom in that. Um, th- this this uh, whole freedom project is about us breaking with our culture's anxiety over finances. Uh, there is so much anxiety and fear in uh, our culture about provision. Will we have enough for tomorrow? You know, how will we make it? Uh, what will happen? And, and it really leads to a kind of an inward-focused approach to life and holding on to everything we can. And uh, that makes us miserable because nobody wants to live with fear. Nobody wants to live with anxiety. It's just not a good place to live. So we're coming against that. As a church body, we are coming against that, that uh, belief system of anxiety and we're doing it through declaration of truth, but also we're doing it through bold action. And the bold action that we're taking as a church body and as individuals within this church body is giving to the Freedom Project. And we believe that uh, this is going to free ourselves personally. It's going it's to enable us to take a step ahead in, into freedom of trusting God and walking in God's abundance, in heaven's abundance. But it's also going to free our families. Uh, Future generations can be impacted. And we believe it's going to bring a a greater degree of freedom to the heart of our church as a church body to operate not on the basis of the anxiety of is there enough, but simply on the basis of what's God calling us to do? What's God calling us to do? There's enough for us to do what God's calling us to do. And when we focus on that, and we focus with outward-focused hearts, then the Bible says God provides more so that we can always do what he wants us to do. And so this Freedom Project, uh, we're going we're gonna to be giving to support three different ministries. Uh, one of them here in Cincinnati called the Lord's Gym, which ministers to people that are coming from uh, just cultural pain and brokenness. And uh, a, a lot of it has to do with addiction and freedom from addictions. Uh, we're also going to be giving to Destiny Rescue, which is an organization that frees children and teenage girls from the sex slave trade in Southeast Asia. And just a powerful ministry. We presented that a few weeks ago. We presented the Lord's Gym a couple of weeks ago. And this morning what we're going to do is look at the third ministry that we're supporting through the Freedom Project. And that is Peace Mission India. Uh, They deal with people that live in abject poverty. Uh, Peace Mission India is led by a man named Pastor Roy uh, I wonder how many of you here know Pastor Roy. He's, he's been here different times. I can see different hands here. Um, there are a lot of people in our church that have known him for years. Uh, he's 85 years old. He is a godly man. I knew the, the, one of the first times I met with him, I just had a sense, I really need to have this man pray for me. 
And uh, I got to tell you, when he prays, the Holy Spirit just shows up. And that's because he's a man that walks in a close relationship with God. Uh, Peace Mission India focuses um, on helping those that are helpless. They, uh, they, they take in, uh, at their first level of ministry, they take in abandoned baby girls that are, that are exposed, just left to die. They take them in. And they raise them all the way through adulthood until they are either married or they've gone through college and have a career. Um, so they, they have that ministry. They have an outreach ministry to young Muslim women, teaching them to sew, uh, thus giving them a skill set that can make them independent so that they can provide for themselves and they don't have to live in poverty. And at the same time, they share the gospel of Jesus with them. And so, I mean, how can they get better than that? It's uh, just an exciting aspect of their ministry. And church planting, Pastor Roy travels all over the mountains uh, doing church planting and ministry. Uh, We have a couple from our church, Rick and Kim Vansky, who recently visited Pastor Roy's ministry in India. They've been there like eight times. And uh, so we put together a, a little presentation here just to show you more about Peace Mission India. You'll see Pastor Roy in a couple of these pictures. You'll be able to pick him out. But let's watch this presentation and I'll come back up. Well, we've known Pastor Roy since 1993. We made our first trip to India in January of 1994. We've been working alongside Pastor Roy for 20 years now. He's in South India. Uh, His home is in Nagarkoil in the state of Tamil Nadu. And he works in the two southernmost states, Kerala and Tamil Nadu. He has an orphanage for uh, girls where they're rescued from the tribal areas where they will kill or abandon the little girls. They don't want the little girls. And over the 20 years we've worked with him, we've seen over 250 girls grow up and get a good education if they choose to go to college. And um, they're supported until they're settled in life through career or marriage. Fourteen churches now in those two states, and he's 85 years old now, still going strong. And of course, it's all set up for everything to continue when he can no longer function in the capacity that he does now. For you chose to take the sinner's crown as you place your and I love Pastor Roy very much. He's he's family to us. In fact, I call him a ba daddy. And I just want to encourage everyone to get involved uh, because you will be blessed. And it's a mighty work that God is doing through Peace Mission. Lifted out of the ashes and fell 
what do you think? Looks awesome, does it? Yeah, I think so too. Um, I, it, you know, it's amazing when you think that uh, you can send one of those girls to college for $80 a month. That's not bad. Tuition, room and board, and everything. Uh, I, I think it costs roughly the same thing to support a pastor's family for a month over there. So, uh, again, just to think in the, these terms that the portion of the money that we give that goes to Peace Mission India is going to be multiplied beyond what you and I would think. Because $100 that we give to them is going to do a whole lot more there and have a much greater impact than you and I would be able to envision uh, by thinking of what, what it would uh, be, be um, you know, the impact it would have here. So I encourage you to pray. That's what we're asking everyone to do. Pray. Um, you know, what, what's God calling you to give? How, what can you sacrifice to give? Uh, I, I talked to someone the other day that um, decided to, to give up their cable TV. And in the process of calling over the phone to do that, ended up in a 20-minute conversation with the uh, person, young woman that works for cable, ended up praying for her and really ministering to her. I mean, it's kind of a little side benefit, isn't it? But, um, you know, God's going to do some really cool things in our lives as we think about, uh, you know, can I drive this car for another year and, and give the money I would have spent on a new car? Or do I really need a, a 50-inch uh, flat-screen TV when I already have a 40-inch or a 35-inch or whatever? I mean, as we think of things like that, what can I sacrifice Maybe I'll, have a, maybe I'll take a smaller vacation this year. What can I sacrifice so I can give to this? It's going to be an exciting thing, and it's going to bless uh, our lives, and I believe God's going to pour blessing into our lives uh, through this. So uh, we have envelopes that have uh, the Freedom Project uh, name on them. They are back on both of the kiosks in the back of the church. We're going to pass these out next week, okay? So they will, you'll, you'll all get one next week. But in case uh, you can't be here um, next week or on Easter, we wanted to make sure you have access to uh, some of the envelopes. We will receive this offering on Easter, okay? Now, Easter is a big day, uh, but we're going to make sure that this is approached in a way that for any new people coming in, uh, they will recognize that we're not asking them. We're not like saying, hey, you need to give to this or anything. This is kind of like a church project that's going to culminate on that day, and it's all totally focused outside ourselves. So those are some exciting things. So uh, let's pray and then uh, get into our message today, okay? Will you pray with me? Uh, Father, we want to thank you that uh, you love us so much. Thank you. Thank you that you're real. Just let that sink into our hearts that we have a Father in heaven who is real and who loves us personally. Thank you that you provide. Thank you, Father, that you allow us to be part of your work because we know you could do it all yourself. But you you commission us and you empower us to be part of your work in uh, taking your love to this world. And part of that, Lord, is giving. And and we, we thank you for that. Father, lead us as we approach this, uh, this, the, um, the Freedom Project. Lead us all to give as you want us to. 
and to bless these ministries in a really big way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, great. Good to see you all here today. Is everybody awake? I'll get a little survey. How many of you stayed up and watched the late show last night, a movie or something? No? Okay, good, 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 good. It just seems kind of mellow in here today, and I thought maybe we were all a little subdued because of um, staying up too late. Any of you ever do that? Okay, I do too sometimes. So, All right, we're going to talk about baptism. And, uh, you know, when, when I mention the word baptism, it really conjures up a, a variety of different notions in our minds. Uh, you may have seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? or some other movie where there's like a southern gospel baptism scene and singing and everyone's gathered by a river or a lake or a pond. Uh, you may have been in a setting where baptism was much more formal than that with a priest and robes and incense and candles and, and other uh, m- much more formal setting. Um, I-, I wonder how many of you have ever uh, been part of a hippie bathtub baptism? Anybody? Okay, some of you have. Any of you, like none of you remember back in the 60s and 70s, people get baptized in their bathtub all the time um, because there were just so many people coming to Jesus just in natural settings, and it was like, well, let's baptize you, which is a real legitimate thing to do. Well, uh, our church has a young adults group that meets on Friday nights, 40, 50 of them pack into our house. And uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, I normally Lori and I are not at home, but Lori had something to do, so I just stayed home. And I was in the bedroom, uh, I think, uh, reading or something. And Wilson opened the door and said, Dad, I'm going to baptize someone. And I said, oh, where? He said, in the bathtub. <laughs> and so my first thought is, oh, boy, the water's going to run over the sides of the bathtub and go down, and I'm going to have to replace the kitchen ceiling. But, um, uh, it, I, you know, awesome, man, go for it. And, and uh, so they baptized two people that night. One of them had just come to the Lord that night in a powerful way. And uh, God was really working in this young man's life in a just real demonstratively powerful way. And then another young woman that just came to know Jesus uh, through the uh, house group, the house church, a, a uh, few months ago. So we're going to watch that right now. Someone took a video of it. Uh, there are like 40 of them crammed up in the hallway and around the steps. You can hear them all. But uh, how many of you uh, were there that night? Okay, Nico here, a bunch over here were there. All right, so let's watch this just to get a picture of, of this way of baptism, okay? believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, I do. You believe he died for your sins. Yes, he did. And that he loves you. He loves me a lot. And he's currently ruling and ruling inside of you. Yes. All right, get in the tub. Woo! So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Clean because of his sacrifice. Yes. I don't know what else I said last time. <laughs> 
<laughs> you said get the tub. Yes. <laughs> the kingdom is inside of you. Do you believe that? Yes. All right. Woo. Yeah. All right. Get in there. <laughs> all right. In the name. You ready? Yeah. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Alright, let's go do another song down. Was that cool? Yeah, they went down to do another song. I think they worshiped for 45 minutes. I had to go around and uh, re-nail all the shingles of the house because they were vibrated off and everything, you know. Okay, so baptism um, is a picture. It's a picture of what Jesus... Uh, did for us and what Jesus does in our lives individually. And it's important for us to have some understanding of baptism and the background of baptism. Um, you know, first thing I, I want to share with you is that baptism itself did not originate with Jesus and the apostles. Okay, it's not like they put a committee together and they were thinking, okay, now what, what can we do? And you know, Peter says, well, I think people ought to just raise their hand and, and that will be the sign that they're going to be a follower of Christ. And, and someone else says, no, I think they should have to turn around in a circle three times and jump up and down. Or, and, and, and they ended up with baptism. No, baptism was already in that culture. And the use of water for symbolism in religious experience, I mean, it's, there's a certain respect in which that makes some sense. And there were events in the Old Testament that were forms of baptism that had washings and pourings of water over different, uh, different things and, and different people. But baptism, as, um, as we know it today, is something that was vested with its meaning by Jesus, by what Jesus did on the cross. Now, the first time we see baptism used in the Bible, as, as we know it today, is a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was uh, really the last of the Old Testament prophets. You see, all the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, they all prophesied the Messiah's coming. Messiah is coming. He's going to come someday. And you need to believe he's coming. Well, when John came on the scene, John, as one of the, well, as the last of the Old Testament prophets, he says, Messiah is here. He says, he's coming and it's close. And right now, what you need to do is you need to prepare your hearts and your minds because the Messiah is, is almost here. Kingdom is here. And so John baptized people. It was called a baptism of repentance. What that means is, repentance means to change the mind and the heart, to, to reorient. And so John came saying, hey, listen, you need to reorient your heart because you don't realize it, but the Messiah is almost here. You know, you can't just sit back. You, you, have to, you have to actively engage with this faith that Messiah is coming. You have to reorient your heart and get ready because he's here. And so John was baptizing people with that message and, and having a great impact. And there's a revival happening in the nation because of John proclaiming the uh, imminent approach of the Messiah and people are repenting and they're turning from things in their lives that they know don't please God. 
and, and they're changing areas of their lives to line their lives up with what they know is going to be pleasing to God, with what the Bible teaches about how, how God wants us to live, how he created us to live. And we look at a passage about John baptizing in Luke 3 and verse 16. Uh, there's, he's mentioned in the other Gospels too, but here John is speaking, John, John um, the Baptist, and he says, I baptize you with water. Okay, I'm baptizing with water. He says, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, now you think about it. John is the big deal of the day. He is the guy everybody's talking about. Thousands of people are, are walking miles and miles and miles just to hear John speak and to be baptized by him. And he says, hey, listen, there's someone coming. I'm not even worthy to untie this guy. I'm not even worthy to serve as his man butler. I'm not even worthy to help him get dressed in the morning. The one who is coming. And that one who is coming is Jesus. And John says, I'm baptizing with water as a symbol of a change of your heart and direction and preparation for the Messiah coming. When he comes, what he's going to do, he's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And the way the Greek language reads there, it's not like he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and then at some point in time also he's going to baptize you with fire. It's one thing. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so he's referring to one event, Holy Spirit, a Holy Spirit fire event. And in other words, Jesus is going to baptize us with the fullness of the kingdom of God. That's what he's going to do. When the Holy Spirit comes and we, when a person comes to know Jesus, they are immersed into, when a person comes to know Jesus, they are immersed into the Holy Spirit And the Holy Spirit is put into us. And what that means is the kingdom of God has come into our lives. We we have become kingdom of God people. And with that comes fire. Now, fire does a lot of things. It cleanses for one thing. So there's the implication of cleansing here. And in the context, it's definitely a cleansing type of a thing. Fire also represents passion. And what John is saying is, you're coming to me for baptism because you're changing your minds and you're saying, okay, Messiah's about ready to come. I want to be ready for him to get here. And so I really want to just be looking and ready for him to get here. And what he's saying is when Jesus comes, he's going to absolutely revolutionize your hearts. Your heart's going to change. And when the Holy Spirit comes in you, there's going to be fire. There's going to be a passion for God-type living. There's going to be a passion for the kingdom of God in you. And so baptism, as John is describing it here and as what Jesus does, has this representation of the kingdom of God invading our lives through the Holy Spirit and just setting us on fire for the things of God, giving us a passion for the things of God. Now, how many of you have passion for different food? How many are passionate about Italian food? Oh, man, I'm passionate about good Italian food. Pizza, 
uh, on and on. There's, there's just, there's, I don't have to decide to be passionate about pizza. It's just, it's in me. It's part of me. I'm passionate for it. I love it. And what he's saying here is, it's not like we're going to have to say, oh boy, now I've got to be passionate for God. I've got to love God. No, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, he releases passion. He releases fire in us for God. And all we have to do is just go with it. We just have to go with it and not resist it, not kind of like try to put it out. In fact, the Bible says, don't quench the fire of the Spirit. We just, we just go with it. And so baptism is representative of our uh, encounter with the kingdom of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit and just lighting our lives up, setting our lives on fire for God. Now, John's baptizing, and he made this prediction about Jesus. But then amazingly, Jesus comes to John to be baptized. John didn't quite understand that because... He, He saw Jesus and knew Jesus was the Messiah. But here's what we read in Luke 3, 21 and 22. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, he's being baptized and praying as he's being baptized. The heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son. And I am fully pleased with you. Now look at the things that happened here. Jesus is being baptized. And and as he's being baptized, he's just saying, Father, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm here to complete the mission you've given me. And and I love you. And as he's being baptized, heaven opens up. I mean, there was something that that happened, I believe, physically that happened that represented uh, and, and spoke to the idea that heaven itself is being opened up and the kingdom of heaven is pouring into this world, that the kingdom of God is coming and the kingdom of God comes into this world through Jesus. Now, for the next three years, Jesus operates in the presence and power of the kingdom of an open open heavens. It says the Holy Spirit came and rested on him. And it, it, it says as a dove, and I know we all like the pictures of the doves and doves are beautiful. Uh, but it doesn't really say that the Holy Spirit looked like a dove. Okay. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit had wings and kind of flew down on him. It says the Holy Spirit in a manifest presence of God came down like a dove would come down, a very graceful swooping and then just a very light landing. And the Holy Spirit just came on Jesus. This was his anointing for ministry. This was his empowering for ministry. For the next three years, he goes everywhere he goes, he releases the kingdom of God. People are healed because in heaven, there's no sickness. There's an open heaven. With Jesus, there's an open heaven. In heaven, there's no sickness. Uh, People's lives are restored. They are freed from demonic presences because in heaven, there's no bondage. They are given new understanding of truth of who God is because in heaven, there's no misunderstanding at all about who God is. Relationships are regenerated and formed because in heaven, relationships are all gonna be right. So everywhere Jesus went, he has this open heavens and, and the power of God is just flowing to bless people. So uh, Jesus is baptized uh, in one respect just to indicate the beginning of a new life. 
He was 30 years old. That was when, in the Old Testament, a man who was uh, designated to become a priest, that's when he was old enough to actually enter the priesthood. And there were uh, ceremonial cleansings and other things that occurred at that point. So there could even be some some implication of that in Jesus' baptism. But he's entering ministry, and God the Father speaks his blessing over him, and Jesus was baptized in order to do that. Now, I think there's another facet of the significance of his baptism, and that is this, that Jesus identifies with us in our sin. Uh, Jesus never sinned. Uh, He had never sinned to this point, and he never does sin. But when Jesus goes to the cross, he's going to experience sin. He's going to experience the power and the presence and the awfulness of sin. And he's going to die for our sin. It's your sin and my sin that he experiences when he goes to the cross. Dies for our sin. And so his baptism was a sense, in a sense, him identifying with us in our need for, uh, for cleansing and freedom. So uh, Jesus goes through his ministry, and then at the very end of his ministry, right before he goes back to, to heaven to be with the Father, uh, he gives us these instructions in Matthew 28. He said, I've been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says, first of all, okay, that open heavens for my baptism, it's open all the time now. It's open not just for me, but it's open for you, my followers. And he, he allows us to walk in his authority of an open heaven where we can we can, through his authority, release the things of heaven into this world. And part of that is to bring people to faith in Jesus, where they become his disciples. And he says, when someone becomes my disciple, he says, I want them to be baptized just like I was baptized. And you know, Jesus didn't baptize people during his ministry, but his apostles did baptize people. And so there were people that came to Jesus and his apostles baptized. So just like my apostles baptized them. And just like the church down through history has baptized. So when a person is baptized, what we're doing is identifying ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was baptized. His, his apostles baptized people. People through church history have been baptized. I want to get in on this thing. I want to be part of it. And when I am baptized, that's a public statement that I've received Jesus into my life. And I want to experience kingdom life. And I want to walk in his authority. And so baptism speaks to the new life that we receive. It's a statement of a a commitment to follow Jesus. But it also speaks to the new life we've received. Now, baptism is about cleansing. That's the, the water symbolizes inner cleansing for us. And in uh, Titus 3, it's important to point this out. We read this. It says, He saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. Now, I read that verse to you because I want to point out that we are not saved through baptism. 
Baptism doesn't save us. It's not like, well, I was going to hell right up until the moment I was baptized. I didn't know God. And then at that moment I was baptized, I was saved. And now I'm, you know, I'm going to heaven. It's not like that. Not, not unless I wasn't a believer until that very moment in time. And at that very moment in time, I realized who Jesus was. And as I was going under the water, I'm saying, Jesus, I accept you. Then, then baptism and salvation would happen at the same moment then. But uh, we generally view salvation as something that happens prior to baptism. And it's not based upon anything we do. It's not the good works we've done. It's not the religious rituals we do. It is just putting faith in Jesus. And he cleanses us. He, we're forgiven for our sins and we're completely cleansed. And so baptism is a cleansing. And it's, uh, it's, it, it symbolizes cleansing. It, it uh, symbolizes the cleansing that we receive through Jesus. It, uh, it also represents us coming into a new family, new family relationship. In John 3, 3, Jesus said, uh, in, in response to this uh, man that was asking him some questions about uh, knowing God. And Jesus replied, I assure you, unless you are born again, you can never see the kingdom of God. Now, being born again is a spiritual thing. This man misunderstood it. He thought it was physical. And he said, well, how can I get back into my mother's womb? That can't happen. This is a crazy statement. But uh, what Jesus was saying was, uh, when you're born the first time, you are born physically into the world, into a fallen world. And you're born into a family within that fallen world. Now, when a person comes to receive Jesus, when we, when we say to Jesus, Jesus, I, I acknowledge my sin and I acknowledge I need to be forgiven. I need you in my life to give me new life. Come into me, Jesus, and give me life. When we do that, in a moment of time, that happens in an instant of time, we are forgiven, we are cleansed, and we are born into God's family, into God's kingdom. So that all happens in a moment. Now, it might take a long time of preparation. I might be studying the Bible and going to church and thinking about that for a long time. I might even believe all the truths of the gospel for a long time before I actually humble my heart and say, Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life, and I I accept you into my life. When that happens, it happens in a moment of time, and we come into God's family. And that's what baptism, we believe that's what baptism symbolizes. It symbolizes that new birth of coming into God's kingdom and into God's family. Now, uh, just asking what it looks like, I'm just going to look at one passage with you about that. In Acts 8, um, there's a real cool story here of uh, Philip, who's riding along in this chariot with uh, an Ethiopian uh, official. This guy's a high-ranking official, and um, he's a eunuch, but he's a high-ranking official in the, the court of this queen in Ethiopia. And Philip is sharing the gospel with him. And he's starting to understand Jesus died for him. And, and so he's come to believe that now as they're riding along. And in Acts 8, we read this in Acts chapter 8. It says, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? So he ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. 
And the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Now that little phrase, the spirit caught him away. What that means is that, like if you've ever seen Star Trek, you know, beam me up, Scotty. Okay, Philip is standing there one second, and I don't know if it would have been a slow dissolve like on, like on the transporter in Star Trek, or if he was just gone just like that. But let's just think it's a slow dissolve. Philip is standing there one second, and he just kind of like, he's gone. The Lord took him and took him and put him somewhere else. That's kind of a cool thing, isn't it? I think. Uh, I'll let you try it first. How's that sound? But uh, so Philip's gone. But what does, what does this guy that's just been baptized do? It says, the eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because he knew Jesus now. He knew Jesus. And he had just demonstrated, he had just stated this publicly through his baptism. So everyone that is in his uh, official court and all of his attendants are there to see this, that he is now a follower of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that is cause for rejoicing. And that's really the way we approach baptism here. We try to make it uh, a very joyful event and an exciting event, and it's a, it's a time when we worship. In fact, um, I'm going to show you a short video of a recent baptism here. Uh, when we baptize, we have the whole worship team here, and they're playing the whole time. And the, Baptist, the bapt, uh, baptistry is right here, under the floor right here. So we fill this with water, get the water up to the right temperature, and uh, we worship. And, and the people who are going to be baptized go into the water. They're baptized. And it's just a very joyful, wonderful uh, event. Now, we're going to baptize uh, the evening of Good Friday. You can see in your program there are two classes. Uh, we do want you to go to one of those just because we want you to get as much out of this as you can. And um, if there's anybody here that, that night that just accepts Jesus that night and they want to get baptized, I'm good with that too. But if you know Jesus already and you know you're going to be baptized, we want you to take this class so you can be really fully prepared uh, for it. So our approach is to baptize those who are old enough to know what they're doing. So we don't baptize babies. Uh, some, some traditions do. We don't have any big argument or fight with them, but um, uh, we, we've decided not to. We dedicate infants. Uh, we'll anoint them with oil and lay hands on them and pray for them in what we believe is a very significant um, spiritual moment. But uh, we baptize those that are old enough to understand. We baptize by the method of immersion because we believe it best uh, describes what we want to describe with it. And so right now we're going to watch this short video and then I'll come back up and conclude. That goes on uh, further, and I, I see one of the guys I baptized sitting right down here just a few rows back, and uh, it's an exciting evening. I want to encourage you to come, uh, even if you're not going to be baptized or you don't know anybody. It's going to be a fantastic night of worship. Now, uh, for some people, they would ask, well, what if I was baptized as an infant? Do I have to be baptized again? And um, good question. Um, first, I want to say, because we believe baptism is a symbol, that it's not a transmission of grace. There's not like a, you got saved that moment type of a thing. Uh, symbols can be repeated. 
And I know I was baptized in high school, and then I spent a period of time um, really walking away from the Lord, and I came back to the Lord later, and I got baptized again. And it's a symbol. But um, if you were baptized as an infant, and, and you're, you know, just God's tugging at your heart, and and you think, man, I want to make this statement as an adult, you know, my own decision, then I think that's a cool thing. I, I wouldn't look at it as like, denying what your parents did, uh, it would be more like a fulfillment of what they desired for you. And I, I would just be thankful that they dedicated me to the Lord uh, when, when I was a baby and, um, and say, well, okay, now as an adult, I'm, I'm going to do this myself. Now, at the same time, if you study the Bible and if you look at the whole thing and you just say, you know what, my infant baptism is my baptism, then we're not going to quibble about that, Okay. We're not going to, that's your decision before God and God bless you. But um, the baptism service is coming up and it's going to be awesome and encourage you to consider being baptized if you haven't. And um, if, if, uh, if, uh, if not at this time, then at least come and be part of the celebration. Okay. That'll be awesome. Uh, We're going to, we're going to worship. We're going to have communion today in worship. And, um, Significance of communion. So it's another symbol that Jesus gave us. Uh, he, he gave the bread and he said, this bread represents my body. This bread's my body. And so when we pick, we, we have little uh, crackers. When you pick that little cracker up, Jesus died for you. You have a savior who gave his real physical body. I mean, just pinch yourself right now and say, what's it like to have a physical body and to suffer? He suffered for you in, in his real physical body. And then he said to take the, the juice, which, rep, which represents his blood, the grape juice. And um, we dip the cracker in the juice. And um, a, as we do that, what we're doing is we are recognizing that Jesus gave his blood for us. So could you guys all just wait? Could you wait, please? Um, and when we do this, we're making a dramatic statement that we believe we have a real Savior who really died for us on the cross, that he really shed his blood, and that I need him. And for anybody who has opened their heart to Jesus, you can, you're, you're welcome to, to take part in this, and we want you to. Um, the worship team's going to start playing in a moment, and... Those that are going to serve can get up and go prepare. And, and you're welcome to come when you're ready and participate when the, when the servers are in their positions. But um, let's pray right now, okay? Father, uh, we want to thank you for your goodness. Um, thank you for your love for us. And we want to worship you right now. We're going to worship you through communion and just say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. And we want to worship you through a song, just turning our hearts to you and declaring how wonderful you are and and how awesome you are. We, We worship you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.